you know, the guy just basically says global governance. Yeah, we're just going to run the whole damn thing. Screw you. Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak. It's November 29th, 2009. Time for your Gitmo Nation Media Assassination, Episode 152. This is no agenda. Providing a virtual shield from media disinformation and coming to you from the minimum security containment cell crackpot command center in Gitmo Nation West, San Francisco, in the morning, I'm Adam Curry. And uh, I didn't know he was in San Francisco, but I'm John C. Dvorak. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill in the morning. I didn't say that. You said San Francisco. No, I didn't. Yeah. No, I didn't. You no, still well, had it's the, a glitch. It's a glitch. It's, you, yeah, it's Skype glitch. You still had the pan flute uh, resonating in your ears. The pan flute. Pan flute. Sounds like some new disease. <laughs> now, vaccine for pan flu disease. <laughs> hey, John. How you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I got up real early. Uh, I was, as you can tell, I was like way ready. Early yeah, on. you're uh, you're a perky one today. I am. Well, there's a let's lot begin- going on. Well, let's begin the show by announcing uh, today's producers. Yes, executive, executive producer of producers. the show. Yes, please. Go and ahead. actually, we have three uh, full executive producers because I could not. Uh, what? Because they all donated the same, or no? They all donated enough that they should all get. Okay, hold on a second, and let me. I'm doing the show notes as we speak. And one of them is is kind of is a code name. <laughs> Bend over. <laughs> Mike Hunt. Bad Ace. <laughs> Seriously? That's our executive producer? Well, he wants credit to go to his wife, Shady Lane. Shady Lane, okay. <laughs> with a, with get, a, what? Shady Lane. Uh, L-A-N-E or L-A-I-N-E? Yeah. 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 Okay, Shady Lane. And uh, so he's, a, or she is the executive producer, one of the three, and they give $1,000. Holy crap! So, yes. wait a minute, it's, it's, do we now have an official lady? Lady Shady Lane? No, no, no. This got nothing to do. This just it's not a knight thing. Oh, okay. I asked him specifically. No, nope. he, doesn't, he doesn't want to be a knight. This is this is. He just... says maybe later. Okay. All right. And then we have three hundred thirty-three dollars from Roy Strahan, R O Y S T R A H A N, and he that's his lucky number. Uh, S T R A I G. I'm sorry. No, S T R A H A N H. So he's executive producer. We actually, I'm going to make these full executive producers to get full credit, and they can take uh, take it on off their taxes. Can you, can you actually do that? <laughs> uh, nothing in, in nothing in the, contained within this program can be deemed as tax advice. Consult your legal advisor. Right, and you probably can't take it off. But anyway, he's in uh, another one of our uh, uh, shady lanes in uh, in uh, northern Silicon or southern Silicon Valley. Okay. But the Roy is in Gosnell's West Australia. Oh man, you know the Aussies are all over this show. It's, it's weird, isn't it? it? No, it's not weird because you know the, it's a very small. I mean, how many people live in Australia? Ten million, maybe? Oh, no, actually, it's probably more. It's more like forty million. Wait, there are 80 million kangaroos and 20 well, look million. Look it up. <laughs> but there's a lot going on there. They're, they're, okay, un- they're and severely then our depressed. Third executive, our third executive producer is from, drum roll, the Netherlands. France. Ah, sacre bleu. And it's Fabrice, but now I'm going to spell the last name. You, you pronounce it for me because then I'll correct you. Okay. Fabrice. Fabrice. R O U X. Hold on. I'm going to say, all right, Fabrice R O U. I would say Fabrice Roux. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Fabrice Roux is our third executive producer for episode 152 of No Agenda. Bonjour. Wrong. What? Wrong. What? It's pronounced Rooks. You're kidding me. He's from Marseille. And in Marseille and southern France, I question him about this. He says there's three pronunciations of this word in France. I would there's say Roux. I would say Roux. Roux is the is the main one you the Parisian way of pronouncing it. Right. Then there's Roux, which apparently in some part of central France they pronounce it Roux. And then Roux, okay. which is the way they pronounce in the in the southern part of France, like in Bordeaux and and I know for a fact in Bordeaux and then I guess in Marseille and that whole area they they tend to pronounce those last letters, you know, hmm. where in Paris they never do. So it would be R O U X is Roux Roux. Hmm. Rooks. But you can. But your accent was good. It, and I had the whole French thing going on there. Yeah, know. you were rocking. Yeah. Population a population of Australia twenty one million three hundred seventy four thousand. Hmm. So and there's still eighty million kangaroos. Is uh, it really? You know that for a fact. Well, it's not eighty million, but it's probably forty million, and that's why they have to eat them. <laughs> yes, harvest. <laughs> they have to. And by the way, it tastes pretty good. Roux meat ain't so bad. It's a good source of protein. Well, that's funny because the kangaroos call it roux, and coincidentally, we have a, a French contributor with the same name. So, um, those of you who uh, are the executive producers—that's uh, Shady Lane, Roy Strahan, and Fabrice Rook, Rook, Rooks, Rooks. Uh, congratulations! You can put this on your resume. You are officially the executive producers, and this is no joke. It's no different from the movie business. Where you put up the money, you are an executive producer, and if we had any chicks, you get to bang him. But we don't, so you're just gonna have you're just gonna have to suffice with putting it on your resume. We have a lot more executive producers, I'm sure. <laughs> if we had chicks to bang, uh, but you can take that to the bank, as 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 we say it. Take it to the bank. Yes, as as Obama would say. Yes, we uh, we appreciate your contributions, and it's uh, that's good. Uh, we'll vouch for you. I forgot to say that. Yes, we will. Has any, no one's taken us up on that yet. Well, they don't have to because now we're publishing it. It's yeah, published at the beginning of the show notes who the executive producers are, and so they all have to do is to put a link up and boom, look, here I am. Yeah. Uh, one I know thing, what I'm doing. One thing, one thing about the show notes, John, I mean, I've sent you 15 emails. Could you just send me the login to the Squarespace site so I can fix those? I'll fix the links, the links oh, manually yeah, yeah. if okay, I have I'll do to. Okay, as the show's over. Yeah, there's something wrong. I don't know if it's the RSS feed or what's happening, but there's a trailing slash before every one of the links, which makes it like this messed up URL. I'm putting all this work into it, and it works on curry.com. It works on Dvorak.org. It works on Mevio.com, interestingly enough. But on NoAgendaShow.com, the links are always messed up. and then, so I want to, I'll fix them manually if I have to. Yeah, we don't want that. You have too many links to be fixing them manually. Well, no, but I, those but I, show I, notes are a tour de force. People should be happy to be contributing to this show just for those notes. Uh, John, what did, did you just say? Tour de force. Did I say tour de force? Yes, because that means it is time again for my French music. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Where did you where do you have the French music queued up? I don't know. I I happen, I was doing some editing on something and I happened to have that one and, and then you started with our French producer I'm like, oh crap, like I've I'm got in it. A, in a bistro. <laughs> it's cool, isn't it? 
So I he like says him. we can't give the Frenchies a bad time this week. He says, uh, no. But I think he's well, a, you know, he, he or say, she. I don't know if Fabrice is a, is a no, female I th- name. I, th- no, I think, it's, I think a it's a male name. I think it's a male name, yeah. And, um, I, I'm always, uh, even, the, even the British are humbled by the French and the way they take no shit from their government. You know, if if the oh, French they're always don't, going on strike, yeah, oh, but not not just strike, violent. You know, it's yeah. like, hey, yeah, violent, yeah, violent I'm going to burn your car and I'm going to roll it onto your lawn, dude. That's that's how the French act. You know what? We could we could take a couple lessons from them. You know, they had this war going on in France. Uh, they called the I think they're called the wine wars, and there were uh, the French are defen- They're very defensive about their wine for good reason, and of course, and they do lead the world, and I believe in quality wine. There's no question about it. So. Um, they, I guess there was a bunch of, they were bringing in Spanish wine or some other stuff to be blended to, to make, you know, the everyday plonk. And the French were getting pretty upset about this because they're always already told to cut back their production because there's, you know, they have a bunch of anti-drinking laws now in France that have got everybody annoyed. What? Anti-drinking laws? Oh, there's a bunch of, there's a huge anti-drinking campaign going on in France by this current government. Oh. And it's got the French up in arms. Sarkozy, you mean? Is it, or is it, is it not Sarkozy? It's I think actually it's a, I think a it's a, underlying uh, uh, teetotaling uh, group of French. Oh, how irritating. So anyway, so they had this this battle going on, and there were some reports you could read in like magazines like Decanter, and what they would do, they'd hijack these trucks, these giant tanker trucks filled with Spanish wine. They'd hijack the truck, drag the truck driver out, <laughs> beat him, and then dump the wine down the sewer. Okay, I, I'm not for the beating the truck driver because that's just kind of ridiculous. That guy can't help it. But I do like the idea of, of uh, pouring the wine down the sewer. That's cool. But I'm, I'm against physical violence generally. In gen- generally, I'm against physical violence. However, John, let me point out that we have a formula. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. But we do not encourage hitting truck drivers. So, um, well, maybe the truck driver, I may have exaggerated that part, but I know that they definitely they, they dumped, dumped the wine, wine down the sewer. Yeah, cool. Very cool. So, um, I wonder if they taste the wine before they dump it down the sewer. <laughs> oh, Pierre, one moment. Before you do that, this would seem like such a waste. Let us try it. Uh, but so, anyway, uh, the, you know, so yeah, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm right there with you. We just don't hear a lot about the French. Well, because the, the French speak French, they don't listen to our show. <laughs> well, uh, clearly some do, and I have to say that they have such a closed media system, it is so protectionist, that it's very hard for them to get anything from the outside world into France. You, you, no, you, it's true. You know, it's all, everything has, it's, in a way, Canada still has some of that, but the internet, of course, changed this, and Fran- France was, I believe, actually kind of slow to to get onto the internet because they had that minitel system and well, they've uh, always tried to stay have their own closed systems. system yeah they wanted a closed system and of course and now minitel was very popular it began i think in the 80s and it was became very popular and then it became kind of a uh, a detriment uh, a detractor well it became a thing that was just oriented toward hookers and oh, so, uh, so wait a minute these guys so they are they are kind of onto something well, the Minitel thing turned into a big uh, kind of a promotional system for hookers, cool. and and you would get these, uh, you know, you'd get these. It's a text messaging system. It, 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 it evolved into something yeah. like that, and then the hookers got you know the different names of people, and they would be soliciting everybody left and right. <laughs> and there's some hookers in France, apparently. I'm, uh, you're reliably informed. 
So um, I, what, there's one story I wanted to talk about right at the beginning since I'm, I've now got the mic. Okay. <laughs> Uh, got, this is a story I think it's interesting because we didn't cover it. You've got uh, the mic, Mr. Dvorak. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, we uh, we it, didn't cover this story, and I think, you know, because for one thing, it didn't fit into our scheme of things, and it seemed a little sketchy at the time, and it was just an unfortunate story. But there was a story about a cheerleader, and she took a she took a regular seasonal flu shot. And, and then, then she, she started walking backwards, right? Crazy disorder. She's walking backwards, and now all the research is indicated. By the way, she's cured now from some herbs that because she was hooked up with a quack who apparently had made all these assertions that he could cure anything and the, the whole thing appears now even though we didn't cover it all but but people have seen it and I, we got a lot of links people say look yeah. at this look at this, well, look you at know, this. what is that well it's a to... scam ladies yeah. and gentlemen yeah you know and, and i think that inherently both of us felt that and that's why we didn't respond to it because i had it in my links and i was like I don't know, man. And I, I just kind of let it go. But yeah, everyone was like, oh, look, you know, she's ne neurological disorder. But how do we know it was a scam? Do you have? Uh... Yeah, it's all over the place now. I, I do have a bunch of links. I'll send them over. Um, Which, of course, is, is sad because it detracts from the actual message that we do agree with, which is these vaccines are kind of an outrage. Yeah, but you know, apparently the, the, the research indicates she, it came on too fast to be real, and then uh, it, it looked pretty disturbing. And, I have to. And she was, yeah, she that. was hooked up with this guy who was a, you know, one of these characters who's always. Uh, Don't tell me he has an internet radio show, and he carries around <laughs> the Constitution and votes for Ron Paul. Oh no, the name was Desiree Jennings. Yeah, uh, right, that's her name. Scienceblogs.com has a has a good story on it. Uh, cured of her vaccine-induced dystonia. So what, what? What was it? Was it just a joke, a hoax, or was it promoting some kind of herbal? It was promoting uh, you know, some stuff. sort of herbal guy who had you know all these. Funny how that works, John. That the both of us felt that that was just not credible. Even and we didn't even do deep research on it. Yeah, we I'm never sure. even discussed it. That's what I mean. Is we both felt like hmm, doesn't feel right. It just shows you that we we've learned a few things. In the past two years, well, yeah, the whole thing. But yeah, well, you know, also the guy. I think the guy could have made more, uh, or the scheme would have had more legs if it was a straight up swine flu vaccine as opposed to the seasonal flu, which has been shooting yeah, good point. people for the last decade. Yeah, good point. Decades, and so I, I think it, he didn't do a very good job of scamming. I just like to point out uh, in the chat room. Uh, Multiple mentions made that uh, prostitution is legal in Australia. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I, I actually know that. Oh, huh. I've been to Australia. Yeah, well, fine. Mm -hmm. Well, it's legal in Nevada, legal. too, okay? Yeah, but it's expensive, and you got to, like, fly there. Was well, it cheap in Australia? In Australia? Of course, because, uh, because it's legal, then you have market well, forces. How cheap is cheap? Like Amsterdam cheap. Where it, where it's not legal in Amsterdam, but it is um, tolerated. Cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. It's just cheap. Not legal. It's just cheap. Yeah. Um, I got some doozies, man. There's a there's a lot going on. Uh, I'm just not quite sure where to start. The the, the most obvious place seems to be uh, Climate Gate. Oh. And you know why I'd like to start there. Well, you're going to go to that, that article in The Guardian and this character that they've chosen to represent England or the UK or whatever? No, the reason why I'd like to start is because I have a jingle for it. To the gate, to the gate, to the climate gate. 
love that's our, great. I love our producers, man. It's, it's like a Kate Bush vibe, isn't that nice? With the little birds <laughs> chirping there in the background. Come on, one more time. Mm. It's really good. Here it comes. To the gate, to the gate, to the Cool, huh? Yeah, I should. Good. Uh, that give that has legs. Yeah, I think so. I think too. this whole climate climate gate thing has legs. Well, it's very interesting because you know you mentioned the uh, the article in the um, in communist the gar- rag the Guardian. <laughs> you wanted why don't you just hit that real quick and then I'll get to what I think is uh, the real big news. Well, I don't have this this story up right now. Okay, well, the- so there's there's a guy from the British National Party, the BNP, which is generally frowned upon in the UK. Yeah, the British uh, National Party. Yeah, yeah, seen as a bunch of quote skinheads and. Uh, you know these are, uh, these guys would will say about climate change. Well, if you want to stop climate change, uh, throw all the immigrants out because they're they're, <laughs> they're basically they're their exhaling CO two and they're clogging <laughs> up the roads. So um, now I'm I'm not against them or for them. I respect everyone's opinion, but boy, they are they are whenever it's like you know you couldn't well, have a, a hotter potato in the UK to say hey how about that BNP huh? <laughs> Well, that's one of these things. This is one of these situations that I run into where I always wonder if they bring, you know, you, you, you send a representative that, who's a red herring. In other words, the guy is so out there. So, so let's just, wait, we just, we skipped over what's happening. There's 15 delegates from the European Union going to Copenhagen uh, to, uh, to seal the deal, as they would say at Copenhagen.org. And, uh, and this guy is a complete denialist, as we would call him. And uh, so now, and you know, and and everyone in the EU was like, "Oh, how can we do this? This is horrible." He doesn't even care about the Earth. There's our opening. Make, make a note. <laughs> oh, let me let me mark it. Okay. <laughs> but that but that's essentially what. Uh, What's going on? And and I think it's you know it for obvious reasons they're they're sending this guy. This is perfect. First of all, you have you you can't have an honest debate about anything or have a real negotiation about some kind of new world order global government deal unless you've got someone opposing it. So instead of sending you know some people who probably will come there with real arguments and and stuff that they've thought about and can articulate in a political manner that that someone will go, huh, that's an interesting point. Just send a really loudmouth guy. A nutcase. And, and then ridicule said, him. If you want to do a political debate, say you and you have control of it, and you have your man, you're running, let's say, against uh, some some an opposition party on some issue, that you you set up a debate where you have your side represented by a reasonable thinking person, and then have the other side represented by a a maniac, a, just a complete screwball, yeah. and then put the debate on television. Or make the guy out to be a screwball, like was done with uh, Ron Paul, and is continuously done with him and uh, Dennis Kucinich and and other people, and us even. That's why I proudly bear the badge of crackpot. You might as well, yeah. If you can't cover it up, turn it up, right? And what's interesting about this character that they're going to send is that the Guardian, being a, a propaganda rag, uh, has uh, they use the term instead. You, know, you have to remember when you read this stuff, instead of using the word skeptic. Oh, they, which they, they, would yeah. indicate someone who is thoughtful. You just use the word denial. Well, there's a, a new one. There's also a contrarian. Climate contrarian is the new that, alliteration version of it. 
which is reasonable, but denier, denier. just assumes bigotry. Yeah. And it also yeah. is associative because the, the, the first usage of the word denier in a political sense was the Holocaust deniers. Yes. And so you associate in your brain immediately a, a, a guy who's completely wrong. Yep. And so, so, and they so use it's that perfect. word to an extreme in The Guardian. Denier, denier. He's a denier. Well, unfortunately, I think uh, th- there was a meeting to which, John, you and I were not invited. Again. Yeah. And the meeting was, okay, let's turn up the heat. We've got all these emails out there from the CRU. It's, uh, it's pretty clear that the science was not in, and a lot of f- funky stuff was going on. We got p- caught with our pants down. Time to turn up the heat. And boy, is it being turned up. Yeah, no kidding. Whoa. <laughs> Twenty uh, times more PR than ever. Oh, Things mean, are going to be worse than ever. Blah blah blah. They're trying to, but you know, it's one of those those tricks. I ran into a guy in the blog once who had a robot that he was posting uh, comments all over the place, and uh, but they were all they made some sense, but it was done by a bot. We found out later because I got a hold of the guy, and he had some bad PR on the internet about him, uh-huh. and so he wanted to bury it. Uh, by uh, just what, yeah, by, by posting up, shit, yeah, by posting tons of stuff. So he set up this robot and started posting things. And what it would do is take a look at a at a, uh, a, a, a subject a, line, the first paragraph. Line, it would it would extrapolate some sentence having to do with it. And it was actually made yeah. sense. There's, there's a couple of them. Like I really enjoyed your post about subject. You know, yeah. Um, gee, you might want to take a look at this Bitly link. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's, I, know, I get, I got a lot of that kind of spam. But it's right because then what happens is when you go to Google and try that now with ClimateGate, you're going to see that there's so much um, obfuscation. Thank you, perfect word. So much obfuscation going on that you have to get into seven or eight pages deep. But let's face it, most people won't do that except us before you get to anything. And the latest, and you watch, you watch this one propagate like wildfire from the same people who. Once again, prove to you that jet fuel can bring down steel buildings. Scientific American, uh, David Biello, has uh, published an article which I think will get some big legs. A Scientific American is, of course, still regarded as uh, a very upstanding magazine. Would you agree, John? It's become a propaganda tool. Well, of course it is, but people still believe, oh, Scientific American. So this David Biello has written this article titled How do you spell Biello? I'm going to look him up. B-I-E-L-L-O. Oh, I've already looked him up, and I've got some stuff we have to listen to. Okay. Uh, climate change cover-up? You better believe it. Yeah, that's the story. I saw that. So, and, and right there on the graph, is, you know, right there on the, at the top of the article is a graph of the temperature shooting up, and I can feel my ass getting hot just looking at it. Was Senator James Inhofe right when he declared 2009 the year of the climate contrarian? A slew of emails stolen from the University of East Anglia's Climatic Research Unit highlight definite character flaws among some climate scientists. I love it. Here it comes. Character flaws, including an embarrassing attempt to delete emails that discussed the most recent report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, while also exposing what looks like a failure of scientists to acknowledge a halt to global warming in the past decade. Sadly... For the potential fate of oh, humans, I love the, I here love it is. the adverb. Sadly, <laughs> for the potential fate of human civilization, rumors of the demise of climate change have been much exaggerated. This, of course, is a throwback to rumors of my death have been grossly uh, overstated. Who said that? 
I think Mark Twain said it once. Yeah, I think it is Mark Twain. The past decade recorded nine of the warmest years in recent history, as well as the rapid dwindling of the Arctic sea ice, blah, 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 blah. So it just keeps on going. Uh, yeah. Judge, you know, judge for yourself, et cetera, et cetera. There's all this stuff in there. There is, in fact, he says, a climate conspiracy. It just, oh. it just happens to be one launched by the fossil fuel industry to obscure the truth about climate change and delay any action. And this release of emails right before the Copenhagen conference is just another salvo and a highly effective one in the public relations battle redolent with the scent of the same flax and hacks who brought you smoking isn't dangerous. So now we're cancer deniers, essentially. I liked it. I liked the, the 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 jump of logic to, you know, if you to associative. By the way, always is associative. So now we're the climate change deniers are the same people as those who think smoking is not dangerous. But that, but nobody ever thought smoking was not dangerous. I mean, for one thing, that the only people were the were the apologists for the tobacco industry that come out and they, they keep saying this, but nobody in their right mind believed it and the whole the fact of the matter is that's not this this analogy stinks it's a phony baloney analogy this guy's making here yeah. to try to catch people's well, brains so, but what he's trying to do he's, he's basically turning it around and saying oh yeah and of course it's the fossil it's the oil companies while in fact the oil companies i believe are really on the side of copenhagen those guys want it they're all in cap and trade they're all for it they're gonna make out like bandits they love it I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm seeing no evidence that the oil company. I mean, I think early on there was some stuff going on with the oil companies, but as far as I can can tell, they'd love to see two hundred dollar barrel oil. Exactly. They'd love all this stuff. Of course they would. So they do less work and make more money. The guy points to uh, this David Biello points to the Copenhagen diagnos- a di- a diagnosis, which has just been released. New term. Diagnosis. Oh yeah. And uh, they've released a report. So this is copenhagendiagnosis.org. I haven't done a who is, John. Maybe you can do that while I read this uh, this piece from the article. Uh, the purpose of this report is to synthesize the most policy-relevant climate science published since the close-off of material for the last IPCC report. So essentially, they've now got a new bit of information. Breaking news, breaking news. And uh, it's a it's huge CopenhagenDiagnosis.org. Yes, it's difficult to spell actually. Um, so there's an executive summary. So this is essentially this is an official report, and you look, of course, all of these PhDs and all these scientists who have participated in this. Uh, summary of the report: surging green greenhouse gas emissions, recent global temperatures demonst- demonstrate human-based warming. Acceleration of melting ice sheets, glaciers, and ice caps. Rapid Arctic sea ice decline. Current sea level rise underestimates. Sea level prediction revised. Delay in action risks irreversible damage. And the turning point must come soon. And finally, you're all going to die if you don't give us your money, bitches. And uh, you, you can find this report and this CopenhagenDiagnosis.org in the show notes at NoAgendaShow.com or Dvorak.org or Curry.com. Have you looked it up yet? Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Who owns it? Uh, looks like this. Well, the sponsoring registrar is interesting. This Planet Domain. 
this in Europe. Uh, it looks like it's oh, a guy named Stephen Gray. You can look him up, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Gray, G-R-A-Y. Yeah. And he's in the Matthews Building in Australia. So this mm-hmm. is an Australian operation at some level. And he's at the uh, UNSW.eu, which is the University so, yeah. of South Wales, I believe. Right, or South, 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 yeah. Uh, he's at the university there. Um, New South Wales, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, I look, so I don't know. So I look I up this it. David Biello. And I'm like, let me just see. You know, he's a reporter, right? Of course, you know, he writes in Scientific American. You would expect him to be uh, relatively... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Objective. Thank you. Relatively objective. And he does a podcast called the 62nd Earth Podcast. Would you like to have a listen to the 62nd Earth Podcast and some of the views that David... B- He's only a one-minute one podcast at 60 seconds. Oh, okay. I would yeah. love to hear it. Okay. Oh, by the way, he's making money on his podcast. I wonder how. This podcast is brought to you by Siemens. Somewhere in America, Siemens is answering some of the nation's toughest questions. <laughs> Don't you love it? <laughs> oh, brother. Siemens is like, you could not get more corp. Do you think he's going to say anything bad about Siemens? Seems unlikely. <laughs> Visit Siemens.com slash answers. Doesn't it sound exactly, exactly like it? <laughs> it's no difference. He's just, he's just throw that in just for the hell of it. So listen to this report. Yeah, he should. <laughs> This is Scientific American's 60-Second Earth. I'm David Biello. Your minute begins now. It's no secret that there are more and more of us every day, from less than a billion 200 years ago to more than 6.6 billion people on the planet today. And the United Nations expects more than 9 billion by mid-century. That kind of exponential population growth has consequences for the planet, from stretched natural resources to burgeoning levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Ah! There that. it is. Ah, burgeoning levels. Burgeoning. burgeoning. What is burgeoning? Growing, Growing in a big way. Oh, yes. A new study by statistics professors at Oregon State University finds that the biggest impact a U.S. citizen can have on this climate change problem is perhaps not so much surprising as difficult to accept. Have fewer children. By their calculations, every American child born today will add roughly 9,441 metric tons of carbon dioxide. How does he calculate that? How many metric t- John, I think you're, you're producing too many metric tons of CO2, you bastard. All that, all that duck calling is more CO2. You're killing us. So what should we do about this problem, David Biello? To the atmosphere. For comparison, a Chinese child would add roughly one-fifth that amount, while a boy born in Bangladesh will add one one-hundred-sixtieth. Oh, do they breathe less, or, or do they... What uh, is they it? fart less. <laughs> I, don't, no, I have no idea. It's because they don't eat meat, I'm sure it's got something to do with it. <laughs> no, no, it's better. Having one fewer child would reduce a family's climate burden 20 times more than driving a fuel-efficient car or using energy-saving appliances. That, yeah, there's a word for this type about, of people. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't we just round up all the kids yeah. and send them to concentration camps and, and kill, kill them. them all? Yes, this is called eugenics. This is leading to essentially leading to the mentality of killing people. Yes, this is eugenics. This is exactly what the the uh, Nazis. Yeah, this is what the New World Order agenda is all about. Is about less people kill people. Doesn't seem to be stopping anyone. New research published in Nature this week shows that birth rates in the most developed countries are rising again. Of course. 
Who can judge the right number for human population? Oh, we can. This is bullshit, by the way. We know for a fact that the birth rates in the most developed countries, which will include Italy, France, much of Europe, is declining in such that they cannot maintain their own cultures. You're totally right. Okay, let's just get rid of them and bring in the you know the people from Africa and Somalia and other you know places that have you know high birth rates and kind of even things out and just wipe out Europe. These people are. This is a sick mentality. Have less kids. Family planning might be the best measure of an environmentalist, and another baby boom could be bad news for the planet. Your minute is up for Scientific American's 60 Second Earth. I'm David Biello. Thanks for listening. This guy is a eugenicist. He's a eugenicist, and he's probably already had a vasectomy, which is the only good news of the story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This, I won't even play the other one. Uh, uh, this, is this... another one by him? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I subscribe to his feed. Yes, I'm not going to play it. It's too much. It's just too much. So anyway, yeah, Stephen Gray is uh, the uh, apparently uh, part of the carbon capture report. Uh, Uh He is a uh, he. He's got some some carbon capture action, so he would have a vested interest in the uh, Copenhagen uh, whatever the heck it was dot org. Well, of course he'd have. Gee, you think? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they all do. So this is this is so corrupt. It's not even funny. In uh, the Netherlands, we have uh, I say we have because of course uh, I grew up there. Uh, we have the Minister of the Environment Jacqueline Kramer, spelled as in Kramer versus Kramer, and uh, she's there's another meme that she. And by the way, if you look at this woman. You should just Google her, Jacqueline Kramer. She is reptilian to the core. I think she's actually shape-shifting as we speak. (laughs) Uh, You ever notice people, you ever run into these people who have a a myriad of looks? Yeah, they're shape-shifters. So you see them from different angles and they don't look like the same person and you see them with, you know. Yeah, totally. Those are shape-shifters. Yeah, Jacqueline. Well, there was something fishy about it. I have to. I'm not going to. You're not going to jump on the bandwagon, but you do agree to something. Yeah, Uh, yeah, Kramer. So she's she's spreading the meme, which I guess has been agreed at the European Union. Is uh, they cherry picked? They cherry picked. It's all about the cherry picking. Oh no, no. They stole emails. They hacked and they cherry picked. It's criminal. Unacceptable. And, of course, I trust the 12 million scientists from the IPCC. That is our, our, uh, that is our science, the IPCC. Have you got a picture of her yet? Yeah. She's shapeshifter, man. She's reptilian to the core. She looks like somebody else. Uh, can't yeah, because, well, she, that's the funny thing with her. She looks like someone else all the time. Reuters, well, we- Reuters reporting... Uh, and of course, Reuters uh, gets copied by newspapers all around the globe. It's a wire service. Well, this gets the subscribers. Three leading scientists who on Tuesday released a report documenting the acceleration pace of climate change said that the scandal erupted last week over hacked emails from client scientists is nothing more than a smear campaign. Yeah, yeah, I got that. I love that one. A smear campaign. Oh, hey, 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 here's some emails. We're not going to touch anything here. Read them for yourself. See what you think. Oh, smear Smear campaign. campaign. Heaven forbid we should see the facts. Dissenters see action to slow global warming as a threat. Dissenters. 
That, that, what is it? Dissenter also has some associative stuff, like uh, deserters or... I don't know. Dissenter is not that bad. I, I think it's... Uh, I don't know. I'm CR, not have to okay, now, it. so we have the CRU Vice Chancellor of Research, Trevor Davies. He is, so that's the organization uh, that had all these emails that were hacked and stolen and published by the people who will ultimately save the world, the hackers. There's nothing in the stolen material which indicates that peer-reviewed publications by CRU and others on the nature of global warming and related climate change are not of the highest quality scientific investigation and interpretation. Michael Mann, co-author of Copenhagen Diagnosis, so they're plugging that really hard now, and lead author of the UN IPCC Third Assessment Report, blamed skeptics for taking the personal emails out of context. Aha. What they've done is search through stolen personal emails confidential between colleagues who often speak in a language they understand and is often foreign to the outside world. Oh, it's foreign. Look like, like English to me, them. dude. Yuck, yeah. yuck, yuck. <laughs> yeah, trick is a scientific term that we use in magic. <laughs> Suddenly. <laughs> the outside world doesn't know the meaning of trick. Trick. <laughs> Suddenly, all these are subject to cherry picking. There it is. There's the of cherry course, picking. Everything's subject to cherry picking. Who are they trying to kid? Yeah. It is. That's what news gathering is all about. When you're a reporter for a newspaper and the most objective person in the world, you are cherry picking. That's what you do. You try to boil it down to a few key items. That's cherry picking, if you want to use a derogative term for it. But also, deep research might be another another way term. It. Yeah. They've turned something innocent into something nefarious, Mann added. The vital, the vital point left out being, he said, is that regardless of how cherry-picked, there is absolutely nothing in any of the emails that calls into question the deep level of consensus on climate change. What's that? What does the deep level of consensus have to do with anything? Well, I mean, the, the science is in. That's essentially it. Now, oh, everybody you, agrees. Yeah, you are. Al, Al Gore is going to come. When we need her, I wonder what she thinks about this. Uh, if or two, Joy so, Behar is the other one. Uh, if two degrees Celsius warming is to be avoided, uh, by the way, I'm cherry picking from the article. The point at which catastrophic. Yeah, by cat the way, when did this two degree thing show up? It's as a new a meme. It's the new meme. It's the two degree warming by 2090. We're all going to die. And by the way, you, you've, I'm sure you've followed the icebergs floating near New Zealand. No, I haven't followed that. Oh, no, that. Google this. Oh, yeah, there's, a, there's hundreds of icebergs that are now floating towards New Zealand. And you would immediately think, oh, gee, oh, my God, global warming. No, in fact, quite the opposite. It is because there has been such a cold snap around New Zealand that these icebergs, every year they drift up north, but never quite that far north. And so because it's been so cold around New Zealand, the icebergs are getting close and they're having to warn the shipping lanes. But they've turned this around because, you know, into, oh, so global way, warming. Oh, the icebergs are going to kill us all because of global warming. It's exactly so wait, the opposite. So what you're saying is because the water's colder, the icebergs can stay intact yes, longer so exactly, they can float further. Exactly. Yeah, and if, if it was actually global warming, the icebergs would have been melted They would have been melted ago. by now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But because of global warming, that's why they're there. It's like it's exactly the opposite. That's OK. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. This cap and trade thing, of course, I think that's starting to fall apart in the U.S. Uh, Congress. Well, they're going to get Obama's they're, kind of falling apart. Yeah. Well, oh, that's a whole nother topic. Let me do two more things quickly. We'll close off uh, climate gate. Um, 
uh, this is a Dutch report. I really love this one. Sydney, Australia. Aust- I'm translating on the fly. Australian scientists are trying to uh, breed sheep that burp less because, of course, uh, scientists have determined the science is in that uh, CO2 emitted. Yeah, everyone agrees that sheep belches contribute to global warming. (laughs) (laughs) And so they're actually working on a vaccine that will be administered to cows and sheep so they fart and burp less. No wonder we're getting tons of money from Australia. <laughs> the people must be John. Why don't we just, want them tasting better? Between Christmas and New Year's, you want to just go to Australia? Should we just go? Should we just get on a plane and go for a week and just go meet some people and see what it's really like down there? Yeah, it's something to think about. Seriously, I'll do it, man. Mickey's getting for it. How about uh, Mimi? Will she come along? We'll have a, we'll have she a blast. Has, she has sheep. Do they burp a lot? And uh, I've never seen a sheep burp in my life. <laughs> Apparently, they, they, they do a lot. <laughs> uh, they fi- sound like they're talking. Finally, one of our producers, a female producer. I think it's a female producer. I, I can't mention the name because I was asked not to. My brother-in-law works for the South Coast Air Quality Management District. He was telling oh, yeah, me I got this letter. that they are worried that they are regulating themselves out of a job. The air has gotten so much better than when I was a kid growing up in the San Fernando Valley. Anyway, they are looking for ways to stay relevant and are, lo- and are now looking to jump on the climate change bandwagon. They're investigating ways to regulate CO2 emissions. It doesn't even matter that it has nothing to do with air quality. They're looking at extending their regulatory powers way beyond their mandate. Don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled our air is cleaner and we, have, and we haven't had a smog alert in years, but this is ridiculous. Once you create an organization, it never goes away. They'll find ways to become more embedded into your lives. Just look at our government. Thank you for the most informative show on the Internet. It's well worth $50 a year. Let's, let's face it, we, we are. We're well worth it. If only everyone would get it. All right. All right. So let's close, let's close it out. To the gate, to the gate, to the <laughs> all right what else we got well i think that's it we're done no what, oh dude we are so far from done as you know i'm a proud member of uh pilots for 9 truth.org and uh which i i find to be uh for me personally the best this is really the organization that got me involved in the truther movement i'll say it i'm a truther janine garofalo come kill me now and uh, so what these guys do is, you know, pilots are very data-oriented. Uh, I think we've mentioned before that particularly the uh, so-called attack on the Pentagon has been debunked based upon the actual evidence sent to nine, uh, pilots for 911truth.org from the black box. Uh, just to recap, the black box showed uh, that it actually rebooted over 30 times in the short time it was in the air, which is not normal unless, of course, you're doctoring the data uh, <laughs> later. Uh, it also they forgot to adjust the altimeter, so there was uh, the the plane that the so-called plane that crashed into the uh, Pentagon and of course left a very small hole and no debris, uh, the, no typical debris, actually overflew the Pentagon by about 150 feet. So um, now this is data that they've received under uh, Freedom of Information Act requests from the National Transportation Safety Board. And uh, so this, you know, there's a lot of data that is recorded on these aircraft. 
And uh, one of the members of the organization, a computer programmer from Australia, uh, looked into uh, some of the data. And there is a data parameter in the black box, which is labeled FLT deck door, which is flight deck door. Uh, because, you know, if this if the flight deck is the cockpit, and if it opens, that will be registered in the black box data. Well, guess what, John? What? T- turns out, uh, flight deck door was closed, marked on the black box, and was never opened. Somehow, however, hijackers got into the cockpit and crashed it into the Pentagon, killing everybody on board without the black box detecting flight deck door open. That seems weird. (laughs) By the way, with everything being pulverized by hitting the Pentagon, uh, coincidentally on the side that was being beefed up. Yeah. um, And and, and the side that contained all kinds of interesting data about the $2 trillion that was lost, which Donald Rumsfeld announced on September 10th. Yes. I wonder where Rumsfeld is right now. In Paraguay. So anyway, how does a black box survive when the entire jet engines were pulverized and turned into powder? Well, of course, we didn't find – no, we didn't even find the engines. That's right. They're gone. But the black box, of course, we did find. And uh, unfortunately, every single security camera around the Pentagon, its uh, tapes uh, and data were confiscated, have never been released. Yeah, that's the only thing that really bothers me. Yeah, well – WTC said it won't go away. But that's for another day. All right. Well, that's good stuff. Uh, Oops. Sorry. (laughs) It doesn't stop. That jingle won't go away. So, uh, some other interesting action around the world. But you know what? It might be time for some real news. Oh, well, in that case. And now, back to real news. So I don't know if I've been following this, but I think it's quite funny because of the early reports. Because I just imagine seeing this. You really, you know what happened with Tiger Woods, right? Yeah, this was incredible. He had some unbelievable accident coming out of his driveway. He ran into a hydrant and then a tree. Was he driving one of those? Was he driving one of those Toyotas with the stuck accelerator? An Escalade, as a matter of fact. Okay, so that wow. And his wife had to like get him out with a golf club and yeah, break the oh, windows. Yeah, terrible. So, and so he's now hurt, the, right, he's really hurt. So, yeah, because apparently now that he's talked and they're, they're trying to reconstruct it, what really happened is that his wife confronted him with this supposed affair he may or may not be having with this other woman, oh. went after him, grabbed a golf club and started hitting him with oh. it. He ran into the car and then she's bashing the windows in and he, he lost control. I guess, no, apparently he got out to see what she was doing to the car, and the, he left the thing in drive, and it went over the hydrant and then into the tree. Where was he? And but he, was he out of the car? I think at the time. That's the latest story. And then, she, so all those injuries are golf club related? Well, and that scratched him. She apparently scratched his eyes out or tried to scratch his eyes out. Whoa. Now, the thing is with this other woman who happens to run a nightclub... <laughs> Doesn't always figure out that way. Damn. Supposedly ran in, you know, went to Australia to meet him, and they had, they had an affair for a month or something like that. I'm not even sure this is true because this, look, this information looks planted just to get her publicity. And when you, she's one of those people, and I, I always like to warn people about this. Uh, Ross Perot had this anomaly, and you'll see it on a lot of people that are kind of interesting in their uh, psychological makeup. She has the big, bulging, oversized left eyeball. Uh-oh. 
So when you see somebody that has, you know, you look at their two eyeballs and one Beware. of them is bigger. Beware. If you got the big, the left eyeball, if the left eyeball is huge, big eyeball, there's something <laughs> amiss. Also, what is, what is this, John? This, this sounds also, fairly look bigoted. Also, people that have the dead left eye. So you have a normal looking right eyeball, but the left eyeball is like, like half closed and like half asleep. Uh, that's a problem. Too. I, I got to Google an image. Hold on a second. Wait, Tiger, is, is, uh, he has a white wife? Yeah, she's a sweet, she's a Holy Swedish model, oh, she's and these beautiful. Swedish women don't put up with a lot of crap. Oh no, oh no, they kick your ass. Oh, she's beautiful. Oh my gosh, she's stunning. So wait a minute. So this night, so who has the bulging eye? She wears eye? a lot of foundation. She's a, she, she might not be a dude, pretty, dude, dude, dude. Stop. Already. I know. I saw she's her beautiful. pictures too. She's stunning, Ellen, Ellen Nord yeah. Nordgren. So it, it's uh, it's the nightclub owner who has the bulging eye. Yeah. What's her name? She's not an owner. She works there. What's her name? Uh, it's in the story there. I can't remember. It's some crazy name. But she's got the big eyeball. And you look at it and go, ooh. <laughs> hey, baby, you, you got a big-ass eye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, people should out there. Take Ross Perot has one of me. the biggest bulging eyeballs. I mean, his left eye is just big and wide open. Yeah, but I, I think Ross Perot was actually onto something, and that's why they threatened to kill him and give him two to the head, and that's why he withdrew from the presidential race. Well, he did withdraw under suspicious circumstances. He said that. He said, you know, I, I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm getting the hell out of this race. Speaking of yeah. uh, of two to the head, this is very sad news. Sad for us because well, I got to talk about some UFO shit pretty soon again. Uh oh. Mark Pittman, the uh, award winning investigative reporter, who was the only journalist to sue the Federal Reserve about what they did with the two trillion dollars, which they refused to tell the American public, the owners of that money, uh, died in Yonkers on November 25th, 52 years old, uh, unclear what he died of. Well, I guess that summarizes things. Yeah, talk. what's the flying saucer story? Let's get right to it. <laughs> Let me just play the jingle again. It's, you know, that really, really, really sucks. We have too many 52-year-olds, 50-year-olds dying of heart attacks all of a sudden. And this guy, he, he's, he's, I, I don't know him. I never knew him, but he sounds like... An awesome dude, uh, like a you know six foot four, booming laugh. You know, he sounds just like he didn't give a shit and just went after everything. And it to me, I'm just going to call it right now. They killed him. They said, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." Look at what you've started because, of course, there's some actual traction now in the in Congress uh, for this uh, Ron Paul resolution, which I think, by the way, Barney Frank and Christopher Dodd are now hijacking. And they're claiming, oh, yes, we're going to audit the Federal Reserve. And, of course, those pansies will immediately water everything down because they're total shills. Um, but this guy really started the, the first legal procedure, and now he's dead. And, huh. he, and even... You think uh, the media would be on this, and, uh, defending their own. Yeah, but even, even Bloomberg says, you know, uh, the circumstances of his death are unclear. They wind up their report. At the time of his death, Pittman's outgoing messages offered a link to a black-and-white photo of Woody Guthrie, written on Guthrie's guitar, the quote, This machine kills fascists. So he was, he was getting too close. I guess. Oh, man, we need bodyguards, John. No, we got the flying saucers to protect us. 
<laughs> and we're not getting too close to anything. All we do is deconstruct we're just reading what's out the news. and make suggestions. <laughs> we're just assassinating what's out there, what's the, the actual news that's being – well, it's like this um, – uh, like these dinner crashers. Uh, this, of course, is the oh, media. That's another real news story. Well, yeah, this is the uh, this is the distraction of the week. And now, and I'll tell you why. So these are these uh, these two people who I guess uh, were doing are doing a reality show for the Real Housewives of DC, and uh, they crashed quote crashed the uh, Obama dinner, which was the state dinner for. Um, What's the Indian guy's name? Singh, I think his name is. I don't know. It was some state dinner. Well, and 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 so of course I see this, and I, and the first thing I know is like, all right, so this shit just doesn't just happen, you know. You don't just like, you it's you just don't get through when you're not on the guest list at the White House, okay? I I don't care, I don't care how many times Secret Service says it was, oh, you know, oh, this will never happen again. Bullshit, absolute bullshit. What this is is distraction. From the actual news, because what is the news? And you have to step back and look at the, you know, look at the 50,000 foot view. The news is that Barack Obama and the Obama administration had the, I think it's prime minister. Is that what he is of, of India? So the, I, fa- I, I, the fact that yeah. you don't even know this is showing that the, the, the disinformation campaign is working. Because when you have India on your side, and you have Afghanistan and Iraq, you have surrounded Pakistan. And there's this little thing going on called, uh, oh, what is it? I Led Zeppelin sung about it. Uh, Kashmir, where there's like 100 million Muslims, which has been a huge point of contention for as long as I've been alive. This is a huge political move for, uh, for Obama to be sucking up to, to India in this manner. And, you know, by the way, we've got Blackwater killing people in Pakistan. We've not declared war on Pakistan. We've got uh, Hillary Clinton going over to Pakistan saying, you guys are suckers. You idiots. How come you can't find Osama bin Laden? This is really bad. And, of course, we got some pipeline to lay across that country. And, uh, and some supply routes for the poppies coming out of Afghanistan. So, but if you look at the map, go ahead. You've all got... Uh, Google Earth, take a look at where Pakistan is and look at how that lies in relation to Iran, Afghanistan, and India. The country surrounded. And uh, wait, didn't we have uh, some, someone who really was trying to bring some change there get assassinated? Um, what's her name? Yeah, what's her name? <sighs> God, she got was... blowed up. She knew she was going to get blowed up. I She's... wonder if she... Yeah. She's actually the one that uh, said on uh, CNN. Buto. She's the one that said on CNN that Osama bin Laden is dead, that he's been killed. Have you ever seen that footage? Yeah, I have, as a matter of fact. Yeah. It could be. You yeah. don't know. Who can tell? They've got to keep him alive in some sort of symbolic way. Yeah, he might as well be alive for all intents and purposes. But anyway, so that's, the, that's your media assassination moment of the week. Is that we so, have compl- they, so now apparently uh, the Warren County Report, which is a website that is also a new, local newspaper up there, and where the, and it is in the county where these people live, and they have photos of their house and all the rest of it, and the big limo which is parked out back. The Secret Service has been combing all over the place. They can't find these two. They've essentially gone either underground or underground. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. Of course. But this will blow over in about a week. 
Yeah, and because you know, but, look, yeah, but what's going to take, what's going to pick up the slack though, is Obama's going to come out and do his Vietnam moment, and and send more troops, probably not as much as the guy wants, and because you don't want to send as much as the guy wants, because if you send as much as the guy wants, and then it doesn't do the job, then you can say, hey, you obviously are incompetent. Let's get you out of here. So you, you send in less, so he'll send in like thirty thousand, and that way you say, well, I guess I screwed up. We should send in more next time. I mean, the whole thing is designed to fail. It's a it's a system designed to fail and to keep us there for some reason in this kind of Vietnam-like quagmire. And don't forget, Obama's the one who says you could take it to the bank that he's pulling the troops out. But I'm saying, where's the evidence of that? And and by the way, they're turning on him. They're the far left. Uh, Bill Moyers is a perfect example of this type of, of journalist. He's got a huge report out uh, showing how what led up to Lyndon Johnson sending too many troops to Vietnam and screwing that up because we didn't win that ever. We had to run and you know, and there was all this debate about oh, should we? we if we, if we we're going to look weak. We're going to look like we're running. There, everyone's going to take advantages of, well, let, of let us. Let me so, uh, let me just ex- lose anyway. Let me explain that just a little bit because you sent me the link to the Bill Moyers Journal uh, yesterday. It's an hour-long report, and you'll find that link in the show notes at noagendashow.com, curry.com, and uh, dvorak.org. And uh, watch this, because what it is is uh, Lyndon B. Johnson recorded all of his phone calls. So, the, you know, this is in the day when we didn't have emails, and we had, you know, Bakelite phones. And, of course, this I wasn't even born. You know, some of this is happening in 1963, 19—oh, wait, that was Kennedy still. So this was, yeah, 1963 and 64, right, so just around the, t- the time I was born. And it's all of these, and he's on the phone with, um, uh, what's the, what was the defense minister's name? Um, see, this is the problem with, with history in this country or around the world. They don't teach anyone any freaking history. So, but John sent this link to me. I watched this thing. And as I'm listening to these phone calls, and it's, it's, it's put together very well, I have to say, it is the exact same playbook in, in Korea, then Vietnam. It's just like Iraq. Then Afghanistan, asking for more troops. What should we do? Well, we have to convince the public. We don't want to look weak. You know, I'm gonna get. You know, I'm up for re-election, and it's all. It's all about. I'm up for re-election. By the way, oh, you know, because of course Lyndon B. Johnson was put in by default when Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, wait a minute, I have a jingle for that one somewhere too. Coincidence? I think not. So he's put in, and then he wants to stay in power. So he wants to get elected on his own merits, and, he, and he's literally saying, "Oh, we don't want to look look weak." McNamara, that was his name. Um, and and it is exactly the By same the way, thing. The general the general calls for more troops, and then the guys on the, his advisors are literally saying, "Well, you know, if you ask for seventy five now, it's going to be seventy five in, in you know the next time, and one hundred and fifty the next time. It's never ending." And what this is at the end of the day, it is the military industrial complex who are making tons and tons of money. And I'll tell you, th- th- you should listen to this. Oh, I I really want to play this for you. This is. Um, from Australia. This is a reenactment of a soldier's letter home from uh, from Afghanistan. And I want you to listen to what their base is like and what it's actually like in Afghanistan. And when you hear this, you will just get sick to your stomach. Everything you and I hear about Australia's war in Afghanistan comes through the Defence Public Relations Department. 
See, unlike other coalition forces, Australian journalists find it exceedingly difficult to gain access to our soldiers. And, and by the way, while I'm watching that, all of that footage and all of those pictures and that Bill Moyers report, I'm like, holy crap, we don't have any of that footage with, with GIs being shot and their fucking limbs blown away and then they're being pulled into trenches and you're seeing dead guys and girls dead, 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 dead. That's the piece that we're missing here. You don't see the camps. You don't see these huge compounds of 20,000 people with Starbucks and, and Kentucky Fried Chicken and all this money, that's our money being spent on bullshit. Those we do get to speak to never veer too far from the Army PR guide. So while American and British troops are out there publishing their first-hand accounts of the war in Afghanistan, we are, for all intents and purposes, in the dark. Until tonight. A currently serving this is amazing. I'm just going to play a little bit of it, but I also want you to listen to what this uh, Australian soldier says about the Dutch. Unbelievable what he says about the Dutch. To protect his identity, four actors will bring his words to life. What this soldier has to say doesn't appear in any media training manual. It's, it's pretty poorly done, actually, but it's about the words. So what is it like to serve in Afghanistan? Oh, Kandahar. The next stop on the rear echelon motherfucker's guide to an easy deployment. The place is huge. 20,000 people. McDonald's, KFC, Starbucks. It's like launching killing machines from across between the Hilton Hotel and a Westfield shopping complex. You hear that? We've built a whole city. A whole city. It's, it's, it's like a, it's this huge place we've built. You never see that. Have you ever seen on the news Kentucky Fried Chicken, Starbucks, or Pizza Hut at a camp in Afghanistan? Have you ever seen that, John? Have you ever seen any footage from inside the Green Zone, which is a huge, giant city with, with, a, with its own suburbs? Uh, and yeah, they've and got it has suburbs, ladies and gentlemen. They've got it's so big. They've got suburbs. Uh, just listen to this for a little bit. Most of the Australians are working in Uruzgan Province. What's that like? That's Uruzgan to you and me. Uruzgan Province is a shithole. <laughs> I mean, even the Afghans think it's a shithole. Three things are a constant with soldiering anywhere: dust, mud, and shit. Coats your clothes, equipment, skin. The need to shit in the field generates all sorts of personal security and logistics issues that most people in Australia never have to consider. You don't, don't like, like crapping in public, public toilets? toilets? <laughs> Try squatting in the middle of a desert in full view of the enemy and your own troops. Hoping they don't decide that now is a good time to start shooting. The Dutch are officially responsible. Listen to this about the Dutch Marines. Now, I've been with the Dutch Marines in Iraq, uh, not in combat, but in, uh, in a combat zone. Listen to what the, the Australians say about the Dutch Marines. It, it just it blew me away. For the security of Uruzgan province. Who are in charge of Uruzgan. What are they like to work with? Dutch is a, an acronym for don't understand the concept here which seems an accurate reflection of the Dutch approach to war. They're like high school kids on a school camp. They put a kill box around this particular part of Cora Valley. A free fire zone, basically. And they just, they just punched artillery into it. Unobserved artillery. No one's looking at where the rounds are landing. Killed 80 civilians. So, just so you know... Um 
so th- he's talking about an incident that the Dutch Ministry of Defense denies. He's literally saying that they put a toolbox out on the field and pretended to be firing at the toolbox, but were missing it. And they killed 80 civilians, and the Ministry of Defense, Defense in the Netherlands denies that specifically in writing. Link in the show notes at noagendashow.com. The Taliban know the difference between our uniforms, and they will go out of their way to fight the Dutch because they know they know they'll get a result. The, the Dutch, Dutch will, will run, run away, away or be reluctant to go after them, so they like fighting the Dutch. But <laughs> All right. There is shit going on, ladies and gentlemen, that you don't care about anymore. You're not listening. You're not interested. We, on the other hand, are diving as deep as we can. And I have to say, John, I, you know, I know you don't like me sucking up to you, but I'll do it for a second. I so appreciate your age in this case uh, because you have the experience of Vietnam. You have called this for over two years. You keep telling us this is Vietnam. You... Um, for whatever reason, you pretend you don't know what it's all about, but of course it is about making money. There's there's corporations you support every single day, including Starbucks. Starbucks, you are is supporting this company with your money so that they can profit from war. They're war profiteers. You know what? what can't, what's wrong with a cup of Joe? If you're in a military situation, what's wrong with peeling a potato the way we think it still works? But no, you're they, not yeah, actually I don't know. seeing they it. Even peels potatoes anymore. No the one peels potatoes. Or they use a contractor. It's flown way, in. It's flown way, in. Yeah, flown in. Yeah, I know. Why don't they just send food in from Paris? I love this. Don't understand the concept here. I, that's fantastic. You could say that about the Dutch government in general. Not all Dutch, by the way. We've got a really a lot of switched on Dutchies who are listening to the Gouda heads, as I call them who are listening to the show and feel this and live in the middle of Gitmo Nation lowlands. And it's disgusting. And what we're doing is we're trying to bring you the real information. And it takes us hours, hours and hours out of, every sing- no, out of every single day. It's hours. It ta- I, I, I work on the show three days a week if I count up all the waking hours that I'm, that I'm a part of it. So I'm going to pitch you right now because we really need to do more of this. Yeah, we had a kind of a slow uh, Thanksgiving, as would be expected. Would be expected. Because of a lot of our- yeah, everyone's out. So, but we did have the thousand. We had the good donors, the uh, Shady Lane and Bad Ace, uh, who are executive producers, Roy Strahan and um, Fabrice Rooks. The other uh, uh, donation that came in was Andy Leva from all places, one hundred fifty dollars from Compton, in the United Kingdom. Compton, California. Oh, Compton, California. I'm sorry. Uh, Where he probably is ducking bullets as bullets we speak. Bullets as we speak, yeah, absolutely. And then we had uh, a few $50 donations, uh, many of which were just night uh, subscriptions that, have, that are just showing up again from Barry Wilson and BB Computers and DUI-Help. But then we had uh, Malcolm Blair, Daniel Brask. And he, by the way, Daniel Brask is Swedish, and he is from uh, Gothenburg. Gothenburg, yes. Also and he says switched we should spend there. his fifty bucks on hookers and blow. Okay, what? right on. Right, he, that'll, he that'll get us like one lick. It. That gets us one lick and half a snort. But thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Ken Burchell from. Uh, Ottawa and uh, Chris Engler, uh, who wants us to plug www.engler.ca, from Milton, Ontario, www.engler.ca slash help. 
And also, last uh, Thursday, we had the, the Omega Tau podcast. is a science podcast, and Mark uh, wanted us to uh, – Marcus wanted us to – it wasn't a fraternity thing. He was a little no. annoyed by that. Marcus now, and th- that's all we got. Now, I want to say – which, again, it was slow. But – and I would hope people would donate after this show is over at Dvorak.org slash N-A or NoAgendaShow.com. Uh, no I want to ask a question. I've gotten a couple complaints from people who say, what, you hate me now? Why did you cancel my subscription? And there's no documentation for him canceling it or for us canceling it. And we need to get to the bottom of this because some subscriptions are getting canceled. Is this the end of the year thing that happens? Or how no, does that no, work? no, no, no. This is just random. We're just, we're, oh yeah, oh yeah, sure it's random. So some of these, so if you have this happen to you, if Check your subscription, subscription gets canceled, oh. uh, you might want to get in touch with us. Oh we, man, I hate that. So all real, now, I have said this many times, that we, we are not making enough money off of this show to really dedicate the resource, I mean we have to eat. And I'm not making a ton of money, you know, I'm not rich by any, uh, not anymore. That's what I was just going to say. I used to be. You used to be. I used to be rich. I'm going to eat my airplane this year. I'm not kidding. I'm going to have to eat that sucker. But that's okay because I'm going to eat it, and that's what I'm going to use to quit my day job. That's you what I've decided. You can't even afford to fly the plane anymore. You haven't gone up I don't have, I have it's been, Since it's been here more than three months, I have not had the, the time to fly it. The time, let alone you know fuel cost. But that's be, that's beside the point. I feel that I have this calling. This is what I want to dedicate myself to. I really want to do this full time. And I believe, John, you would like to do the same. But we have to make, you know, a lot more money to do it. We wouldn't, this, we're not getting anywhere. We're, I pay our interns at Mevio more than we're making on this show for, as a full time job. And that's no joke. And we pay them 10 bucks an hour. Dvorak.org slash NA. And meanwhile, the National Treasure Public NPR. Radio, NPR, and PBS are making millions, millions of dollars, and they're being sponsored and advertised on by huge corporations such as GE, BP, and Monsanto. And we don't take any advertising for this very reason. For, and, you know, for this very, you, you've got the science, scientific American 60 minute Earth podcast dude sponsored by Siemens. Yeah. Sure, if you want to have bullshit, if you want to have bullshit, then listen to that and then think to yourself, hmm, I wonder, would he say anything objective about Siemens, which doesn't just make, you know, mixers. They're very involved in healthcare. They're They're very involved in energy. There's a huge conglomerate, huge conglomerate. And we really go the extra mile, and we appreciate everyone's support. If every single one of our listeners gave us $5 a month, we'd be set. Until that time, we appreciate the larger donations. Even if you donate a, uh, a larger amount, please consider signing up for the $5 a month. And do that instead of buying a Starbucks, for Christ's sakes. And demand, demand. Which that is you- about the same price. It's more. The Starbucks. Yeah, well, if, if, if you, I think you know, it's three fifty. Yeah, for, for a, a coffee, for just one coffee. But if you get like a little thing to eat with it, then it's oh, seven now you're bucks. over ten bucks instantly. Yeah, yeah. plus the ten percent tax. <sighs> it really yeah, riles you know, people, me. Up. I think a parking meter. You say you know whatever you <sighs> spend on parking meters. And if anybody out there has leftover money in their PayPal account, go check. Just send that to us because you should close these accounts out if you're not going to use them. PayPal's just making money on interest, and you're getting nothing out of it. 
I just want to play that NPR clip one more time. The uh, the chairwoman of National Public Radio and what she calls these donations that they okay, get. Okay, moving on to money. How are NPR's corporate underwriting revenues holding up in the recession? And what about foundation grants? Um, two different stories. Um, underwriting is uh, corp- uh, underwriting is is down. It's down for everybody. I mean, this is this is the this is the area that is most down for us. Is is in is in sponsorship, underwriting, advertising. Call it whatever you want. Yeah, call it whatever you want. Why don't you just call it advertising? Because you're influenced. By the companies that actually run the world. Well, not only that, but they run huge ads for many of these companies. Yes. Yeah. How many times have you heard this Monsanto. one? The good news is the recession actually behooves us because the cost of living currently, until hyperinflation kicks in, is uh, is low. So we don't need as much as we would have needed, you know, two or three years ago. To actually do that, but I'm I'm so deadly serious, and I'm going to put my my money where my mouth is. You watch. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Well, really that, you won't be able to talk. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not going to be stuffed that full. <laughs> there was a a funny uh, a funny blog post on the American uh, the Enterprise blog, and uh, they showed a graph. I'm actually, I want. I'll send you this link, John. You because you'll get a kick out of it. Hold on, let me just Skype that to you. Uh, they showed a graph of why is that? There we go. Of cabinet appointments going back to Roosevelt's cabinet, and the percentage of uh, people in each presidential cabinet that has actual private sector experience. Well, you mean like, you, wait, by that you mean they had a job yes, sometime in a their job. life? Yes, a job, an actual job. Holy crap, this is unbelievable. You have to p- definitely put this in this the show This is in notes. the show notes. Oh, yeah. So you have uh, Roosevelt. Eisenhower was the top. Yeah, Eisenhower had about... Well, let's, uh, wait, let's get some perspective here. Eisenhower is the top with about 58% looks like uh, people that had, in other words, not just government lackeys. Roosevelt had 50%. Nixon had like 53%. Reagan had like 55%. Uh, some of the low ones, uh, here's the lowest one, Kennedy. He has people really low. It was unbelievably low. Yeah, in fact, 28%. it was 28%. And then uh, George Bush... Uh, looks like 51 or 52 yeah. percent. Then, then the, the lowest one, the lowest bar on the graph. Well, let me guess. <laughs> Who? The Obama administration. Less than 8 percent of the people in his cabinet have ever held down a public sector job. Ever. Ever. And this brings me to a wonderful piece of video because this is not uh, exclusive to the United States, Gitmo Nation West. But, of course, now we have the United States of Europe, and there's still one guy who I'm amazed that, well, of course, he's just being ridiculed and called a nut job, so he probably won't get two to the head. Nigel Farage, who was always good for a laugh. And uh, so, of course, he's, uh, he would, and by the way, if either one of us gets two to the head, just make him the replacement. He'll be fantastic. John. So, yeah, he's, what, he's in. I've got him getting his writing down his email. When I, when I, <laughs> just in case, <laughs> get it down there quick. So of course, what happened is um, the Lisbon Treaty finally got rammed through. We've been through that a million times. Even though France, the Netherlands, and Ireland voted no, 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 and then you know, there's been plenty of uh, suspicion at best uh, of uh, fraud 
uh, for the the go around because you know just saying no isn't enough. Let's try it again a year later. And then Ireland finally buckled. The Czech Republic got what they wanted. They buckled. And so now you have the United States of Europe, which means they could uh, bring in a president which was not elected by the people. In fact, most of the people that are in this uh, huge governmental body of almost 500 uh, have not actually been elected, nor do they have any real-world experience. This is a rather long clip, and I think we'll, we'll interrupt it from time to time, John. But here's Nigel Farage going off at European Parliament in uh, Strasbourg on the 25th of November. And he actually, of course, gets slapped down for well, speaking morning, the truth. You're all very downbeat this morning. I thought this was going to be a big, proud moment. I mean, it's taken you eight and a half years of bullying, of lying, of ignoring democratic referendums. Eight and a half years it's taken you to get this treaty through. And on the 1st of December, you will have it. And, of course, the architect of all of this, Giscard, wanted from this constitutional treaty for the European Union to have a big global voice. But I'm afraid the leaders have suffered from a collective loss of nerve. They've decided that they want their faces to be up on the global stage, not somebody from the European Union. And so we've got appointed a couple of political pygmies. So, but of course, you will have it. <laughs> he's referring to uh, the, uh, the Belgian uh, Prime Minister, who is now the President of Europe. ...of bullying, of lying, of ignoring democratic referendums. Eight and a half years it's taken you to get this treaty through, and on the 1st of December, you will have it. And, of course, the architect of all of this, Giscard, wanted from this constitutional treaty for the European Union to have a big global... No, I'm sorry, I, I accidentally rewinded a little bit. Here it comes again. ...have suffered from a collective loss of nerve. They've decided that they want their face is to be up on the global stage, not somebody from the European Union, and so we've got appointed a couple of political pygmies. Yeah. The Kissinger question of who to call in Europe hasn't really been answered, has it? What was the Kissinger question? I like that one. I don't know anything about it, but apparently Kissinger was critical of the EU's uh, organization and uh, made this comment that who do you call if you wanted to, you know, who's the who's really running this thing? I mean, is there anyone, you know, it's like, uh, it's like you know, when you deal with certain large virtual corporations nowadays in the United States, you want to get a hold of the PR department, you, you, there's you no way of finding out who they are. Anybody. And by the way, you will not see this on television. I guarantee you. I guess the answer can only be Mr. Barroso, because he's the only one that anybody in the world has ever heard of, and is probably the big winner out of these posts. No wonder, sir, you look so happy this morning. Of course, Barroso, they have multiple, uh, there's like two tiers in the European Parliament, and Barroso is president of the commission, and these are the guys, and our, our buddy Naley is also on that commission. They actually call the shots. They make the laws. And, you know, they can they can sue Microsoft and Google for billions of dollars. They can do whatever the fuck they want, basically. <laughs> and we have a new president of Europe, Herman Van Rompuy. Doesn't exactly trip off the tongue, does it? <laughs> um, I can't see him stopping the traffic in Beijing or Washington. <laughs> I doubt anybody in Brussels would even recognize who he is. And yet he's going to be paid a salary that is bigger than Obama's which tells you all you need to know about this European political class and how they look after themselves. 
But at least he's an elected politician, unlike Baroness Cathy Ashton. Now listen to this one. This is great. Who really is the true representation of the modern-day political class. In some ways, she's ideal, isn't she? She's never had a proper job, and she's (laughs) never been elected to anything in her life. So I guess she's perfect for this European Union. Excuse me, Mr. Farage. Yes. I would like to put down your your, your postages. You you made your, your... Presentation right, okay. is He's enough for us. This is the uh, the dude from Poland. He's basically saying, "Hey, son, shut up and sit down. We get your point. Shut up, slave." Chaps. Okay, down, please continue. Calm down. But I mean, she's never been elected to anything, and no one knows who she is. Even the prime minister was talking about Baroness Ashdown as opposed <laughs> to Ashton. I mean, no one has ever heard of her. She's even less well known than Herman Van Rompuy. I mean, that takes some doing, doesn't it? She's risen without trace. She's part of this post-democratic age. She married well. She married an advisor and a friend and supporter of Tony Blair and got put in the House of Lords. This is exactly how it works. This is what everyone needs to understand. It's all nepotism. It's all connections. It's who you know. And none of these people have been voted in by the actual people who want representation in Europe. When she was in the House of Lords, she was given one big job. And the job was to get the Lisbon Treaty through the House of Lords and to do so pretending, pretending that it was entirely different to the EU Constitution. So she's good at keeping a straight face. And she vigorously crushed any attempt in the House of Lords for the British people to have a referendum. So here she is. Never stood for public office, never had a proper job, and here she gets one of the top jobs in the Union. Her appointment is an embarrassment for Britain. But it's much worse. Well, at least I've been elected, sir. Unlike her, she's not been elected, and the people don't have the power to remove her. But just hear the next bit. There's something rather more serious than that. Cathy Ashton was an active member of the campaign for nuclear disarmament. In fact, she was the treasurer of the campaign for nuclear disarmament during a period of time when CND took very large donations and refused to reveal the source. What is known is that these donations were obtained by a man called Will Howard, who was a member of the Communist Party in Great Britain. Dude, I'm going to send money to this guy. I'm going to, I'm going to pay, does he have a PayPal account? I, I, he should get some money. I'm just going to play a little bit more. I, I love listening to him. He's fascinating. He goes on for a long time, but it's all good stuff. It, it, and he, it, it, you can't say anything, but uh-huh, shit, yeah, you're right. Will Baroness Ashton deny that while she was treasurer, that she took funds from organizations who were opposed to Western-style capitalism and democracy? That question must be asked. And are we really happy that somebody who will be in charge of our overseas security policy was an activist a few years ago in an outfit like CND? I mean, if we really think that, frankly, we need our bumps felt. I don't think that she's a fit and proper person to do this job. She has no experience. And unless she can answer those questions, did she take money from enemies of the West? That question must be answered. So what happens, uh, and you can look at this, of course, it'll be in the show notes. So eventually they turn his mic off. They just turn his mic off. And he's like, that's the way you do it. Yeah, shut up, sit down, just be quiet. You're going to ruin our scam here, you big blowhard. Yeah. It's all about the money.
It's all about the money. By the way, you, you, I want to make a correction here, by the way. One of our listeners uh, mentioned that you, you said public sector as opposed to private well, sector. Private sector. I, I, well, I, 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 yeah, I got Obama. a little overexcited. I'm sorry. Yeah, o- Obama has 8% of people that have ever worked in the private sector ever. So we can expect a lot of positive things for the yeah. economy. Oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. they really know what they're doing. They've, they've really got the experience. They, you know, we've got the best people in there. The best. The absolute best people are in there doing the job. It's a tough job. We got to call tough shots. And of course, you know the, who's advising Obama. You know the Republicans are trying to make hay with this bowing incident. Yeah, yeah. He went to meet with. Uh, actually, he's done this a couple of times, but the one that's got the most uh, legs is the meeting with the Emperor of Japan, who's standing upright and shaking hands like a normal guy with a suit on. And Obama bends over like he's kowtowing to this guy. Well, he is. It's in some kiss ass. He's like, please don't screw our dollar. Please, please. But it's Japanese. They're not going to screw the dollar. They're already screwed. I mean, there's no reason for him to be doing this. And so they're trying to get the bowing thing in. And if anyone wants to get a kick out of something, go read Peggy Noonan's last editorial in the Wall Street Journal. She doesn't ever mention this bowing incident, but she keeps putting in the word bowing into her text. So, oh, yeah, he's bowing to special interests. He's bowing to, he's bowing, <laughs> he's bowing to that. It's actually quite yeah, funny. Yeah. Even though it's pure, you know, propagandistic move to get Boeing and Obama linked. Yeah, there's also some great footage uh, when Obama was in Russia. And uh, he and uh, Medvedev are saying hello to the cabinet. Have you ever seen this YouTube video? It's phenomenal. Oh, what does he do? So they're going down. What other gaffe does he pull? Oh, hold on a second. Let me just get it for you. Obama, Russian handshake i think that's probably it oh what happened here okay here it is it's uh so essentially none of the russians will shake his hand (laughs) hold on let me just uh grab this for you it's like 12 seconds uh, and i'll add it to the uh, show notes right now hold on check this out john this will trip you out None of the Russians will shake his hand. No, no, no the whole cat. And you see, Obama he keeps sticking his hand out, and they're like, and they shake Medvedev's hand every single time, but they won't shake his hand because they have no respect for him. Take a look at the video. So he's literally, and you see his face go, "Oh crap! Oh crap! Oh crap!" As he keeps sticking out his hand, and none of these guys will shake it. Wow! Yeah, I mean that's that's like massive disrespect right there. Yeah, massive, massive. Well, after he, you know, maybe it's because he bows to everybody and he figured what, you know, maybe he should have been bowing to them. <laughs> so, um, where was I? Uh, you were talking about the uh, guy in England who they cut the mic off. Nah, yeah, I was already done with him. Now I was going to move on because uh, we're kind of running out of time. How about the Human Rights Watch stuff going on in Uganda? Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, apparently this is unreported, you know, underreported news again. Apparently a group of uh, of the Ugandans have decided to uh, pass a law or they have a law under review. And the Human Rights Watch website has some of the best stuff on this. The law would uh, essentially if you're a homosexual with HIV, you can be executed. And <laughs> oh, so shit. they were- <laughs> so, but but makes makes it even worse is if you know somebody who's homosexual, you've you got twenty four hours to report them and take a test. Get- Four years oh, you in have, jail. You have to report if you know someone who has AIDS. No, that has it's homosexual. <gasps> so you got four. You got 
24 hours to report them or you get four years in jail. Okay. And, and they have another one. If you're complaining about this law, if you complain about this law as being like idiotic, like doing you a get show, seven years in jail. <laughs> okay, hold on. Complaint. Let me just let me just knock Uganda off the itinerary for our trip, John. <laughs> That's a, not on the list. Oh but it turns God. out that there's apparently a number of Christian organizations in the U.S., uh, namely, but they're all they're very fringe groups. Or probably pro- want the same they're thing. Supporting, yeah, there's yeah. a bunch of people. Uh, of supporting. course, uh, of course, kill the gays. Yay! Perfect. But like nobody is covering this anywhere. <sighs> so I mentioned earlier that. Do you have a link for that, John? I want to include that. In the show uh, yeah, I'll get you the link. Yeah. It's a human, but nice you can just go humans right, human rights watch uh, in Google, and you'll get the, their website. They have the best stuff on. There's a bunch of news stories, but they tend to be a little slanted. Human rights watch is quite good for these kinds of things. In fact, it's a good website to visit every so often. So as you know. Uh, and as we've played uh, multiple clips on this program, uh, there is a movement within the House uh, originally led by Dr. Ron Paul, the congressman from Texas, who everyone joked about. But boy, they, he sure gets some airtime these days because he called it. He called the, the meltdown. He called all the bullshit that's happening. He continues to call it. And so it's the audit the Fed bill. And, of course, uh, right. the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Ben Bernanke, said, hey, you know, um, Doing this could seriously impair economic stability in the U.S. And, of course, he's not lying, which is, which is the funny thing about it. This is a Bloomberg report. Because you know, if we actually knew who they were giving the money to, you know, like the $2 trillion that uh, the, the Bloomberg reporter got killed over, if we actually knew and we said, hey, hold on a second, that is out of order – Indeed, the financial system would come crumbling down because it's a big sham. It's a huge scam, and and we're not a part of the game. And someone asked me the other day and said, you know, so, you know, why are they doing all this? And I said, it's very simple. They just want to get as much money as possible right now, buy up all the real stuff like land and things, and then if it blows up, they got that land and things. And some right. gold, and some gold, or tungsten, or whatever they might have, but it'll look like gold. Yeah, and they're getting, the, and they're getting something. the hell out of Dodge. And so this is not going to happen. Like within, out. Yeah, and it's not going to happen within a year. I don't think. I pray. And it takes a while to accumulate all this property in Paraguay and on the aquifer, where you know you 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 won't be you know starved for water. And on and on. Uh, um, I have. Uh, well, just a, just a couple, a couple more things, because the, the main thing that happened in the global markets uh, this past week was Dubai. Uh, oh, yeah. Dubai, yeah. of course. I probably discussed this with Horowitz this week. Yeah, because Dubai, of course, um, you know, there was all this money going into Dubai. It was going to become the new Disneyland. Uh, and we have discussed uh, Dubai, as uh, and Janine Garofalo pointed this out correctly, uh, that there's an entire underground Sex slave trade, gambling, drinking, all kinds of it, it truly is Disneyland for the rich. Uh, but with uh, with all the financial troubles that have gone down, they are now def- about to default on an eighty billion dollar loan. I guess simply said, and of course, uh, all kinds of uh, countries are in Dubai, including and there's a link in the show notes uh, the uh, the state. The European state of the lowlands, known as the Netherlands, they will lose hundreds of millions of euros uh, when this default takes place. So I think it was on Friday, 
the markets were going nuts. Every you know, the dollar was all over the place. Every everyone was like freaking out because this will have severe ripple effect all the way through to commercial real estate in the United States. And conveniently, conveniently, while all of this trading is going going on and people are freaking out, the London Stock Exchange hit a trading glitch. Oops. I'm sorry, the system went down for a moment. We, we please no more trading. No, don't place your bets. So they they pulled the plug because they were all freaking out. Yeah, well, you can do that anyway. Yeah, but they but just to show you how big this really is, they pulled the freaking plug. And of course, uh, and I'll just say it: this is uh, this is you know outfits like TED, which I've always had my doubts about. You know, they had that TEDx. And they have all these, they've fr- they franchise this money-making deal, which is, you know, supposed to be like some, ooh, special invite-only deal. They had that in Dubai. So it's, uh just shows you. Shows you who's all linked up with that crap. So our Canadian listeners uh, should be on the lookout for a 24-part CBC series coming out. Uh, my son pointed this out. On the distrust of... And blind faith in science. <laughs> 24 parts on the unscientific distrust of and blind faith in science because of the, you know, the stuff that we talk about a lot where we have, you know, there's a, there are skeptics. I mean, a real scientist is a skeptic. Of course. And there were skeptics who said, hey, you know what? I don't think the world is flat. I don't think the sun revolves around the earth. These were skeptics who in their time were ridiculed. And and probably put to death, but then they go off and they discovered like great new lands and all these fantastic things. Galileo was excommunicated, and he was only recently <laughs> exal- abs- absolved of it, just like ten years ago or so. Would that it's be uh, would that be posthumously, John? Yeah, posthumously. <laughs> I think I think so. I don't think I don't know. That. You know, my, no one teaches that shit in. Uh, <laughs> in school anymore is galileo still alive uh, we should check on that google that check his wiki page so um so that should be an interesting thing to watch although it seems no, like you could, could it. be able to summarize it a little better than 24 parts well they got to keep you busy is that a commercials no it's a state run right cbc yeah it's run by the canadian government it'll be very interesting to see uh from gitmo nation uh the first report came in from the netherlands a lot of dutch news today uh, severely underreported, but uh, all of a sudden, uh, last Wednesday, Russian bombers were overflying the Netherlands at 25,000 feet, which, by the way, is, you know, and, and were not announcing themselves to air traffic control. May I just say, as a pilot, not a good idea, because, you know, 25,000 feet, there is some traffic at that level. And uh, so they had two F-16s uh, intercept, and uh, they've asked some questions in uh, in Parliament, saying, "Hey, dude, what you doing?" Of course, you go research, as I tend to do. Uh, same thing: uh, Russian bombers overflying the United Kingdom, entering their airspace at around twenty five thousand feet. So, what the hell is going on? Why why are Russian bombers all of a sudden entering our airspace when if you fly over Russia? You get the shit blown out of you. You get taken down. And, uh, I don't one, know. This is interesting. Yeah, one of our uh, producers Maybe they're just testing the systems. Well, one of our producers see how sent, lax we are. One of our producers sent me a link, and I think I know what's going on. 
when Obama was visiting uh, Canada, the same thing happened. Russian bombers were uh, entering Canadian airspace. I have a feeling this may have something to do with Copenhagen. Uh, there's also a huge distrust on the part of the Russians uh, of uh, of global, because of course, all of the j- just to summarize, all of this cap and trade, all this swine flu stuff, it's all about bringing in global government. And many people may think that's great. I, uh, we don't happen to, sub- to subscribe to that. I think you can't really make laws for sovereign countries who have their own cultures. And uh, John, you've mentioned this many times. You look at the history, even our own United States. We had civil war. It's just not that easy to get a whole bunch of people over a large area to agree on things. We have different cultural backgrounds and upbringings and traditions, and we want to do things differently. And if we have global governments that mean all, just like Uganda, oh, that's a good rule. Yeah, you got to report all gay people. I mean, is, is, could it come to that? Quite possibly. So the Russians are definitely, uh, definitely against this global government. At least that's what it feels like. Well, there they know uh, the Russians are very suspicious. I mean, the people always say, "Well, those Russians, you know, you can't trust them." The funny thing about you always have to remember about Russia and why they always have these, you know, they take over Poland and they take over all these countries that are butting up against them, the Ukraine, all the rest of them, Georgia, because the Russians have been attacked so many times by these maniacs in Europe. You know, Napoleon goes in there and tries to kill everybody. You know, Hitler goes over there and tries to kill everybody. They, so they have these, so they create these buffer states during the Soviet Union era because they're just they need some some you know a little you know some buffer you know some people they you first got to kill all these Pol- Polish people before you can get to Russia the point is is that the Russians are paranoid for good reason yeah i think i think absolutely and as particularly when you hear this i promised the last uh, on the last show on thursday i'd play this for you this is uh, the new president of europe uh hermann van rompuy I agree with Nigel Farage. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? Uh, who, of course, is also a Bilderberger. Uh, listen to what he has to say. The position to which you have just elected me is a new one. And I shall take office on the 1st of January 2010. The Lisbon Treaty wanted to instill greater continuity and coherence in the work of the European Council of Heads of State and Government. Six monthly presidencies had the advantage of involving all 27 member states in the work of the Union. The disadvantage was was a lack of, was a lack of perspective. It's my perspective. firm intention to ensure that our work develops over a long-term period. A perspective that goes beyond six months will allow us to be better organized where the major multi-annual dossiers are concerned, such as the financial perspectives and the Lisbon strategy. You hear that? So they're pulling so they're pulling together all the finances, and ooh, what do you think that's going to lead to? I also think that going back to our roots in the European Council could help us to discuss from time to time, in an, an informal, an open way, the big questions of the European project. I'm thinking more specifically of the economic and social agenda, and this is a particularly urgent matter because of the environmental and energy challenges. We Here it comes. Now listen very, very closely. Now you're going to understand how environmental issues and how uh, pandemics are used to bring in glo- global government. He's going to say it right now. This is not a secret. 
But you have to listen, and oh, gee, you might not have seen this on television. ...and, our, and the aspirations we have for greater security and justice for all our fellow citizens. We're living through exceptionally difficult times. The financial crisis and its dramatic impact on employment and budgets, the climate crisis which threatens our very survival. A period of anxiety, uncertainty and lack of confidence. This, is, of course, is training your brain. So we're going to die. We're very uncertain. We're very afraid, right? Yet these problems can be overcome by a joint effort in our, and between our countries. 2009 is also the first year of global governance with the establishment of the G20 in the middle. Of the Did you just hear that, John? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't I, it? I heard him say global governance. That that sounded to me like uh, global government. It sounds like it to me, too. It's interesting he would use that term. Yes, let's see if he mentions it again. Financial crisis. The climate conference in Copenhagen is another step towards the global management of our planet. Yeah, that's what we want. We want global management of our planet. You know what? I'm all for cleaning up our shit. I'm all for living cleaner and healthier and have more love towards each other. But it doesn't seem like these guys are doing a very good job and they're doing it through lies and deception. Lies and deception. Yeah, this is what I always ask the big question when somebody sends you spam where they trick you, they lie to you to get you to open the spam. You're going to do business with them? What are you, crazy? I mean, it's just a simple logic. If they're going to be a bunch of sleaze balls, which apparently is the case, and the thing is, of course, nobody covers any of this uh, or that. I never heard this, this little uh, ditty that you found. And no. it's, you know, the guy just basically says global governance. Global yeah, we're governance. just going to run the whole damn thing. Screw you. Yeah. And, of course, it, the whole European Union was a trick because I lived in Europe when they said, hey, you know what? Wouldn't it be a smart idea if we made all of Europe kind of uh, an economic uh, place where we all had one form of money. It would be much easier. And, of course, everyone goes, yeah, shit, yeah, man. I hate having to translate all that, you know, the francs and stuff and the pie. It's all difficult. I don't understand. If, if it's just one monetary union, w unit, which is what it was called and still is the European Monetary Union. Yeah, unit. The EQ, I think. Uh, uh, currency, yeah, the EQ. Uh, yeah, well, that made sense to everybody. But all of a sudden, you turn around, and 15, 20 years later, you wake up like, wait a minute, we got a president? Now we're, now we're the United States of Europe? Well, that wasn't how it was sold to us. It was a virus. And everyone was asleep. Everyone was enjoying the movie. And then you wake up, and all of a sudden, something completely different has taken place. It was not just an economic move. Well, it was, that was a big part of it. But it was really a, a political move, and the people who are running the show are not elected. They were not, in general, not elected by the people of these member states. The these people... internationalists have been at this since of... And they're well, doing it. They're getting kid. away with it, though. They're finally doing they it. They finally have found a new trick, and they've gotten so far. And the idea, of course, is to put your buddies in and take as much, just basically steal money from the, as many people as you can, make the big, make the big group bigger so you can steal more money, and then push people around and create like an internet. And it's basically a one, you know, it's the, the, the dream of one world government that you can dominate. And why are you know, why are you against this, John? Why? Because a lot because a lot of people say, you know. I'm I'm kind of, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe we should all come together and sing Kumbaya and hands across the USA. And, um, and you know, we'll fix everything. These guys will fix it for us. Why would you be against that, John? 
because they're incompetent boneheads, they're tricksters. They're not interested in fixing anything. They they say they they have a good they talk a good game, but in fact, them is they just want to take money and they just want to steal money. It's just what Hitler did. I mean, Hitler was like taking over areas, but what was stealing every piece of art he could get his hands and on? And by the way, Hitler was loved. He was loved when he came into power. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And he tricked his way in. He never really got elected. In that. I mean, he got elected to lesser offices and kind of took over the place. But the fact of the matter is this kind of thing, I hate to bring Hitler into it, but the fact of the matter is you run into these, these despots, I mean, Stalin, Napoleon. I mean, there's a slew of them. Every country has one or two. And, uh, and they would love to just boss everybody around, steal all the money, take all the art, put it on their walls, and, you know, screw you. And then, how, is they, how is this helping anybody? This isn't helping the poor. It's not doing anything. So uh, you I think that woman is a good example. They, they, the House who, of Lords yeah, person married, who's never uh, been elected. Then. Married uh, Tony uh, Tony Blair's uh, best buddy. So uh, what? What I think we should skip today, John, just so we can get the show over. Because I, I, I'm I'm tired. Are you tired? I'm actually tired from this one. <laughs> There's been so much. It's like ah, I think we should probably skip the uh, the swine flu minute. Uh, oh yeah, I, no, we, we I think the swine flu minute can pass any time. I think we've done more than our share of swine flu stuff. Yeah, other than there, uh, there was a there was just one piece of uh, video that may be kind of funny uh, to listen to. Well, so there's a couple things that I, I actually do have to say. Uh, Reuters is now reporting that uh, it looks like we're going to get uh, the adjuvants in the swine flu as the FDA is now actually evaluating new uh, new uh, swine flu vaccine from Novartis, which includes uh, adjuvants. And there's even reports out there saying, hey, you know, did America make a mistake somehow by, uh, hmm, by uh, not including adjuvants? Oh, I like the I like the way they twist that. Yeah, November seventeenth, Novartis announced today new interim data from ongoing clinical trials demonstrating that a single seven point five uh, microgram dose of the company's influenza A two thousand nine unadjuvanted vaccine, half of the currently approved U.S. dose, fulfilled immune response criteria associated with the protecting protection in adults of the elderly. And they're talking about adding this. So basically they're saying, hey, if we can only add our adjuvant, MF59, we can use. And this is exactly what we predicted on this very show. And I actually said if I was right, you'd have to give me $5,000. But it's okay. I'll let you slide. Fifty, you know, $5 a month will suffice. Uh, what they're going to say is, oh, you know what? Uh, we can't get it out fast enough. So uh, maybe if we use half the amount of our antigen, that's the actual virus, and then at the adjuvant, we'll be able to get everyone, everyone inoculated really, really quick. Yeah, we did. We had predicted this. I don't find it that interesting anymore. Well, on uh, Thursday, I shall uh, take you down the new path as I kind of understand where this is actually all going. I'm going to leave that as a little teaser, a cliffhanger, as it were. Uh, but I do have uh, some pretty detailed research on what the end game is for the swine flu vaccinations. It's a little surprising, but when you hear it, you'll go, uh-huh, okay, now I get it. And it has to do with the war on terror. Gee, oh, yeah. why not? Yeah, of course. We uh, really appreciate you showing up to the Mosque of the Media Assassination. 
for this program, early service. We need to get the megaphone out on the uh, on the tower there, John, to announce the show every Sunday. That would work. And uh, we appreciate your donations. Uh, we need them. We really want to do a lot more, including the third show a week, which is uh, it is in my future. Noagendashow.com, Dvorak.org, slash NA. Consider... And we will continue bowing to public demand. <laughs> yes, indeed, we will. <laughs> Coming to you from the minimum security containment cell crackpot command center in Gitmo Nation West, San Francisco, California, I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where it looks to be another global warming hot day, I'm John C. Dvorak. We will talk to you again on Thursday, right here on No Agenda. <laughs>